0: the conquest of bliss a podcast about finding light in the darkness this episode was produced by cabbie productions hi and welcome back to the conquest of bliss i am here with josh wing of wings of icarus fame he's the daddest check him out on tiktok how are you today josh (laughs)
1: I am doing really good. Um, Had a good Memorial Day weekend. And of course, you're Canadian, so you have no idea what that means.
0: (laughs) So can you actually, I know that you guys have two, right? We have just Remembrance Day in November, November 11th. But you guys have one that's like, like, I'm very confused. You have two veteran holidays, right?
1: Yeah, there's Veterans Day and then there's Memorial Day. And I'm going to sound very un-American because I have no idea. Like, I know it has something to do with anniversaries, but I'm not 100% sure which is which. And so I'm not going to even try <laughs> to okay. fill you in on okay, that. because I, I really don't know. I think one has to do with World War II, but I'm not 100% sure on that.
0: Is is Veterans Day on November 11th? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> cuz I think cuz we do November 11th and I think that has to do with World War 1 maybe. I don't know now. Now my ignorance is showing. This is fantastic. Um <laughs> So
1: um Yes, Veterans Day is November 11th.
0: Oh yeah, the Google. I didn't even think of Google. Um brilliant. So yeah, that's the same as our Remembrance Day, which is which is I think okay. I think basically a combination of the two. Um where, sure. you know, it's it's in reverence to the veterans, but it's also like the day that veterans right. would um, do their own celebrations and stuff like that. I think, Lord knows, I do that not know. That makes sense. Uh, <laughs> so I invited you here uh, to talk about happiness, mostly because for being one of the... Like you're definitely one of the like happiest people, at least presenting um, that, (laughs) that I've come, come across probably in my life. It's, it's very cool. And, um, but I also, you know, know a little bit of your story and it's definitely incongruent to someone who doesn't, um, doesn't understand the process. So I was hoping you could help us figure out, you know, kind of how that happens.
1: Yeah. So you just got to be happy. Okay. Are we done? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> the shortest podcast ever.
1: <laughs> that was that was good. So I guess, I can it. we... No, um, yeah. <laughs> go, go for it.
0: Um, oh, I was just going to say, maybe uh, we could start with hearing a little bit of your story and what I alluded to without saying specifically.
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah. So when we talked a little bit about it, um, I had mentioned, because, you know, yeah, happiness is one of those things where it's just like, it's hard to describe to people and then when like you know when i think about it because so as was alluded to earlier um oh gosh what now i'm gonna sound really ignorant i think it's been 13 i'm trying to think of dates 13 years ago um my wife and i lost a daughter to sid's and so um when we're talking about a happiness podcast, and then all of a sudden I'm bringing everybody down, um, I just wanted to kind of share like the process of finding um, what I thought originally was just contentment, um, but I truly realized you can find happiness again, um, even through. Such tragedy and um, I've heard multiple people say and I'm not trying to toot my own horn but um, that losing a child is like the worst tragedy that you could possibly imagine and I, I can't really imagine much worse so <laughs> I'll take it um, so yeah I just kind of wanted to um, to kind of share you know some insights I guess if you will if I if I can help people um, to find joy again even if they face trauma even if it's not i mean I've, I've heard it say the worst trauma you've ever faced is the worst trauma you've ever faced so like there's no real good comparison of like who's faced worse and who hasn't faced certain adversities um you know y- you only know what you know so your worst thing is you know truly your worst thing and my worst thing just mm-hmm. happens to be one of the worst things imaginable Um, so, uh, you, when you asked me on here, it was just kind of an interesting, like, um, a podcast on happiness. I was like, okay, I think I got this, (laughs) but it's like kind of a weird, uh, way to get around it. But yeah, (laughs) I'm happy to share my process and how I've found, um, you know, happiness again through it all. But I do want to add a disclaimer that. I can probably say I'm not as happy as I used to be if that makes sense, but that's okay,
0: I mean, I, I would say, yeah, yeah, that makes sense that I mean, <laughs> I, I think happiness doesn't have to be over the top bubbliness all the time. You right. know there's 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 exactly. happiness in the peace that comes. And I mean, yeah, that that mm-hmm. is definitely the the worst thing that I could imagine. and when you when you suggested it, I mean, I was <clears throat> sorry. I was all about it because I, I, we all face traumas. And like you said, I mean, it's, it's very subjective. What's going to be the worst thing to one person or another. It's, it's, it's irrelevant what other people go through, you know, to, to our. Right. You know, our is our experience and other people having worse quote unquote experiences doesn't invalidate ours. So I think that you're right. Like there's so much value in having that discussion and I'm sorry, one sec. I'm very grateful that you are willing to talk about that because it's it, it can be so raw. So, um, when when that happened, I mean, what what did that look like for you emotionally in the beginning?
1: So yeah, when it when it first happened, man, it was like my entire world absolutely crumbled. Um, And it's kind of, so it's all weird. And, and, you know, I don't know anybody listening, your relationship, or if you have a faith system or or what have you. Um, I've struggled with my faith throughout my life. Um, Okay, hold on one second. I'm going to have to pause. I have children. Beautiful, lovely, (laughs) happy children that I need to happily... (laughs) Do you want to just pause audio or keep it running?
0: Yeah, yeah, let's just pause audio.
1: Okay, I'm going to pause. There we go. Okay. All right. So, um, going back to where I was. Um, So, yeah, going back to that day, it was like, you know, the entire structure had just completely, like gone under me. And like I said, like, I don't know where everybody stands in their faith. Um, but for me, faith was a really important factor in getting through, um, all that we went through. And it was such a weird time, uh, structure that came about because at the time I was studying to be a pastor. Um, and one of the classes we were taking was on, um, uh, sermon writing so um i had written this sermon for this class um called contentment and the coming storm (laughs) and so that entire thing (laughs) like um so I can't, I can't remember for the life of me what the verse was, but it was basically Paul saying, I've learned to be content in all situations. I think it's in First First Corinthians. But he says, I, I've learned to be content in all situations, whether having plenty or whether in need. And so I kind of just was like interested in figuring out how did Paul find this contentment? And then, um, you know, through it all was kind of like, uh, I basically came to this understanding of throwing all like, um, comparison or like trying to compare to other people out the window, trying to compare to your own past circumstances, just comparison in general, um, was like the killer of joy, and so, um, you know, it's kind of like that finding that happiness in that peace, whatever the storm, whatever mm-hmm. the situation, and so it was three days. I, I have. The sermon written somewhere with that i dated and it was three days before we lost sarah that i wrote that sermon and so when i read that i was like damn i wrote this for myself oh. <laughs> and for my family and um and so i actually ended up sharing <laughs> that sermon at her funeral and it was just such a bizarre like a, i you know you some people say coincidence but i i don't think it is i think there was something very specific i needed to hear and, you know, it was that timing that was just like, man, this this was what I needed to hear. And another interesting tidbit that I don't even know why, but um, when we were in the hospital, when we mm-hmm. had found out we had lost her, um, I went up to my wife, Kaylin, and who was, I mean, she you talk about somebody who looked destroyed. It was like the worst thing I'd ever seen seeing that face, but I made her look me in the eyes and I, I said specifically, and I still don't know why I said this, but I said specifically, we're not getting divorced over this. And like, I didn't even know the statistics then. I learned them later that, you know, people, uh, couples who have faced a trauma involving losing a child, uh, statistically it is higher that they'll get divorced. I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but... You know, it was almost like I was just stating a claim right there. This is not going to be what breaks us. And so that's kind of been that rock we've held onto was like just having that, you know, that piece right there. We're not going to do this. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that, that kind of started everything off. Oh, man. And of course, we faced like, the deepest turmoils, you know, but we learned so much through all that um, that, you know, we can face them together and not let it like separate us. And, you know, to um, realize that even though Sarah's not with us, she's still a part of our family. You know, we keep her pictures up, um, you know, we celebrate her birthdays. Um, and the celebration obviously looks a little different these days, but, um, and over time, it's become kind of less and less like mm-hmm. of a big thing. We used to have all the family come together, but now it's just kind of like me and the kids and Kaylin. Um But we just try to keep it like, you know, um, I mean, she still is a part of our family, even though she can't be here with us physically, we still have her spirit with us. And so that's what we carry on. But as far as in regards to finding that peace, it was like, I mean, those those things um, with the sermon and with, you know, that proclamation that I made, that kind of set the right foot to going through the grieving process properly and, you know, learning from other couples who we kind of befriended throughout the years who have gone through the same. we we learned, you know, every couple or every person grieves differently. So, you know, allowing Kaylin to grieve the way she needed to grieve while she's allowing me to grieve the way I needed to grieve. And then we're not only grieving our daughter, but we're grieving our former selves as well. So we're grieving, I was grieving, like I said, I used to be a much happier person, but I had to realize like, that's not my new normal. My new normal is now I'm just different. And, and then my wife is different. So it's learning to love the new self. It's learning to love the new spouse. It's learning to live in a world where this daughter we had is not there anymore. I mean, there's so much to it, but it, it was realizing all of that and like claiming it, not even saying like, this is okay, but saying like, this is what is. It, it became kind of a way for us to, okay, this is what is. So what do we do with what is? It's kind of that stoic philosophy of like, there are things I can control and there are things I can't control. So I need to let go of these things I can't control and focus on this is what is, what do I do with this?
0: Oh, man. Yeah, The so you're, you're talking about radical acceptance, basically, right, right now is, yeah, is yeah. moving from a place that actually exists. And like you said, not comparing Um, uh, so how, how old is, um, your, your, like, how old are your other children?
1: So, um, Sarah would have been our, she was our second. Isaiah, um, he was, I think, three when she passed. So he's 15 now. And then, um, Eve is 12. Uh, Tesh is 10. Naomi is eight. And Ruth is six. If you can keep count, that was six kids.
0: <laughs> oh man, you guys have an impressive number of children. Um, <laughs> yeah, and um, so just i sorry, I was just just asking for for clarity because I knew you had I thought you had four. I didn't realize I didn't realize there was um, <laughs> but uh. What I wanted to uh, ask you to elaborate on, just a little bit, is the you were talking about. You were talking about radical acceptance and and moving forward. But one of the really important things that I think you said was grieving your for- former selves. Not only mm-hmm. you know grie- grieving the selves that existed before knowing that kind of pain, and you know the the coping mechanisms that eventually crop up. Like you said, it's like a new spouse that you, you know, you have and a new spouse that you are and learning to relate to one another anew and, uh, and at what point did you realize that that was going to be part of the process for you? Oh
1: boy. It, it, it all kind of blends together, but I think like, um, I mean, we figured that out pretty early. Um, it started simple, it started with the way we grieve. So Kaylin is very much an introvert and I'm an extrovert. And so her grieving process is she wants to be alone in a room that's dark. Um, you know, she, she, might, she doesn't mind having me around but she doesn't want anybody else. She doesn't like the, the noise, um, you know. And for me, I'm like, I want to be around people. I want people to hug me. I want, you know, I'm just like, I want to be around people. Um, I'm very much a public griever. (laughs) Um, So that's one thing we had to figure out real quick because Kaylin wanted me with her, but she wanted to be alone. So first of all, the important thing for us both to understand was neither of us were wrong. And that was something that like some people have an issue with of like, if somebody's sitting alone in the dark and that's the way they grieve, they're like, oh, they're depressed. Oh, that's not good. We need to brighten them up. And that's, no, that's not the case. Um, That's how some people grieve. And for her to grieve that way was important. And so for me, you know, oh, some people were thinking, oh, he's not even thinking about her. He's, you know, just moved on so quickly. And also that's not the case. It's just, we both went about it differently. So, first thing we had to learn was compromise. Um, you know, we, we took turns taking time for me to be with mm-hmm. her alone in the dark room. As much as I hated it, <laughs> I did not like being alone in the dark room. Um, but um, we took that time together <laughs> and then she sacrificed and let me have time, you know, with my family. Who At that point, um, I think we were at my mother-in-law's house. Um, we stayed there for, gosh, probably two or three weeks. And most of the time, um, you know, all our family was staying there with us. I mean, they'd leave late at night, but they'd come back in the morning. So, I mean, it was just kind of like, you know, I always had somebody to come out to when I was, you know, when I'd had enough and I needed some conversation. Um, so that part we learned pretty quickly. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, we started going to SIDS group meetings um, with other SIDS parents, and you know, um, talked to a lot of people who were further out um, on their journey, and really, uh, some of them actually were divorced. Um, others were still together. Um, others we found out later had gotten divorced. So it was it was a nice mix of people and we're always, Kaylin and I are always people studiers, so we always are interested in what makes people tick. And so I mm-hmm. think that was a way for us, <laughs> how we figured out like, okay, that isn't a good way to go about it. Let's not do that. <laughs> so we would just kind of point out and, you know, I think the biggest thing for us, we are always talking to each other. <laughs> Um, We are just always like studying people and just like we both have taken notes in our head. Hey, did you notice when this person did this or how this person said this or how so and so rolled their eyes? (laughs) Um, But, you know, (laughs) the, the biggest thing is we just kept came back to each other and, you know, had these long conversations about like, you know, this is what it means. And I think it was through that that we finally came to this point of understanding of like, know because at first it's coming to the realization of what you're actually grieving um and that was the biggest thing was like you know at first it just all seems like it's everything it's all consuming um you know i remember there being a point where i was thinking like why isn't the news reporting that my daughter's dead i don't understand like that was my entire world and like nothing else really mattered and I never read this book, so I can't tell you what it's about. But there was a book title that just like jumped out at me. That was called um, "And Not One Bird Stops Singing," and like that just hit me. Like the world goes on, you know. Like yes, my my daughter's gone but the birds are still singing, you know, the sun rises, the sun sets, these things continue on. And that's like what this world is, what this earth is, is this journey of continuance. And um, I think that was the point that I realized like, you know, like, yeah, it doesn't mean that we forget. It just means that things go on and that's okay. And that's the biggest thing I take away from everything is like, you know, whatever you're feeling, that's okay.
0: Well, and I, I mean, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that specifically because that's something that I was I was going to ask you about was you know um, I feel like there's a lot of narrative around you know um, tra- tragedy mm-hmm. that if life goes on as it does and we can't stop it anyways that you're somehow dishonoring that person and then there, there's right. a lot of shame that builds around that right and yeah, so definitely so, it's, it's like, there. Yeah, is there, do you have any, um, like, I know that a lot of these processes and, and and stuff when it comes to happiness kind of happen internally, and we can't necessarily mm-hmm. put them to words, so I do understand that if that's the case, but is that something that you would know how to put into words, like how do you, how can you process that, um, you know, do you and Kaylin talk about that side of things very much?
1: We do. And it's, you know, like, yeah, there's not like a 12-step program or a, you know, certain like way I can put words that would make everybody just suddenly be okay with everything that's going on around them. Um, However, um, we've gleaned a lot from, you know, different sources. Like I mentioned the Stoics earlier and the Stoic Mm -hmm. philosophy of, you know, just being able to accept what you can't control and then control what you can. And like, that was one thing that we took. And we were like, okay, like, you know, that makes your list so much easier to handle because so Mm -hmm. many times we focus on the things we can't control. And then we have no energy left to focus on the things that we can. And so I think that's where a lot of people get stuck is like, you know, yeah, you can't control death. You just can't. And, as much as we like thought we were going to i mean like after we had you know lost Sarah and started having kids again, that was the biggest thing we were afraid of is like what if another kid dies like and so we were trying everything we could to make sure that didn't happen you know like the one of the things they do is um if you have a child that you lost to SIDS, they'll send each subsequent child home with an apnea monitor. So, you can kind of just like put that on them when they go to bed, and you know you know if it goes off that their heart rate has dropped and so um, that 's kind of a way I think it gives you know it 's supposed to give parents peace of mind um, so that doesn 't drive mm-hmm. them crazy. but for us, the apnea monitor actually made us go more nuts because Eve ended up having sleep apnea as a baby, our next oh. child, <laughs> and so we ended up in the hospital for about two weeks i think um trying to and or no it was a couple days actually because they were just monitoring just to make sure um but after that we were kind of just like this is dumb like you know and it's not dumb for everyone if it gives you peace of mind like i said if it's something you can control you do that thing um if it's going to ease your your heart and allow you to breathe then that's what you need to do and absolutely for us was you know it it was at first we kind of felt like okay yeah this is giving us peace of mind but then when the monitor kept going off we were like okay this isn't working for us so um we kind of just you know it it was kind of a big deal when Kaylin was like i'm ready to give up this sleep monitor (laughs) um but yeah, yeah that's That's one thing. Um, The other thing, and it's something I'm kind of learning just more recently, I've been reading a lot of Ram Dass. I think we talked about that a little bit over Mm -hmm. messaging. Um, And one of the things that he talks about, um, and of course, he's big on like psychedelic trips and whatnot. So he was (laughs) on mushrooms at the time, I believe, and had this very profound uh, awareness of self and what is self and what it was, was, you know, every profession that he ever aspired to be or ever wanted to be was presented to him and he was forced to let that go. Like, that's not self is basically. So professor, nope, I'm not a professor. That's not myself. Like, that's what I do, Mm -hmm. but that's not me. And then it kept going on. And then all of a sudden it was his name came up and he's like starting to think, no, my name is me. like. When people say my name i go yes but then he was presented with that's not yourself that is a name that your parents gave you but that's not who you are and then his body started disappearing and this is all obviously like a hallucination but like yeah. as that's happening he's freaking out because he's like no obviously my body is myself it has to be but then like his whole body disappeared and then there he's like but i still had consciousness I was still present. There was no self of me to see, but I still existed. And he goes, I don't know what that was, but that was self.
0: The awareness.
1: Yes. And so, like, he goes home after that, and he decides... And it's kind of like he talks about how, like, you don't have to align yourself with the establishment. Like, you are a self, and, you know, the establishment is an order that's meant to rule a bunch of selves but you yourself mm-hmm. are like you can choose or deny that establishment but like so he goes home and um he decides he's gonna uh um do his parents front driveway because it had snowed the night before so okay. um so he's doing that it's like five o'clock in the morning and his parents Open the window, and they're like, "What are you doing? No one, you know, does this at five o'clock in the morning. No one plows their driveway. <laughs> Come inside." And he's like, "All I could think to do was look out up up at him and smile and dance a little jig, and then I continued on." And he said, and "What I noticed was when I looked back up in the window as I continued, was they were smiling." And so he's like, "I just said no to the establishment." But I did it in a way where now the establishment is questioning itself. And so it was Mm -hmm. that kind of like, and obviously that can take so many different routes. But for me, I felt like that was kind of a way of like saying, you know, this self and the autonomy of me doesn't have to be controlled. You know, like my and I I do this so much where like if somebody else is mad or upset, then I'm like suddenly apprehensive and want to be mad and upset with them. But yeah. like for me, that showed me like, I don't have to do that because I'm not very good at being mad and upset. Like it, it hurts <laughs> physically for me to do that. And so I don't get mad or upset very often because I don't like how it feels. But I always felt like if somebody else is showing this indignance that if I'm not, you know, at least amping myself up to their level, then I'm not representing them well. But then I've come to realize I can still dance a little jig and say, fuck you to the police at the same time.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that totally makes sense to me. Is is basically, you know, you don't you don't you're not you're not obligated to feel anything. Right. And and I think that ties a little bit back to, you know, the the struggle with the shame and stuff um that we were talking about before. And I mean, and I loved that story, the dancing a little jig story. Um and I just think it really it really I mean it really resonates with me in the way that I, I try to view things um and and so like you said that that was fairly recent so can you share a little bit about how how that may have played into maybe something something that's happened recently for you how how that realization of of your freedom and your autonomy how has that how has that played out in in real life for you
1: sure um yeah I mean you know again like I said, i'm one that um i don't rock the boat you know i'm very much trying to try to be a peacemaker um and a lot of that has to do with the middle child syndrome um there's a lot (laughs) that goes into that some trauma from my past um but i think for me i've come to realize like because my biggest fear wasn't to actually rock the boat because sometimes it's necessary to rock the boat my biggest fear was coming up to confrontation with other people and you know realizing like once you confront that person you have to spend more time with them and that's going to be so freaking <laughs> awkward and how am I going to deal with that like you know you're never going to be able to be the same again this is like all this self-talk going through my head yeah um but coming to that conclusion of you know you can dance a little jig and you can still confront authority and or whatever that establishment is for you, um, so like you know, there have been times recently where I've had to like confront people on things, and I'm, I'm terrified to do that stuff. But it's become less of a terror when I can realize I can be my same happy self and dance a little jig and still confront that person and still say, okay, it's confronted, we're done, you know, let's move on and. I think part of it was letting go of the idea of like, that I'm gonna win something, you know? Absolutely. Because that's not what it's about. It's about like, what that's not important to me. I thought it was for so long, like, oh man, what if I say something and I am wrong and I lose the argument, but that's not the point. It's because like, what's more important to me, I've realized is I have something to say and I wanna be able to say it. And mm-hmm. once it's said, no matter how it's taken or no matter what comes out of it, I can at least have comfort in knowing I said something. And well, and that changed oh, everything for, for me. Like that was like this whole world opened up of like, you're right. I don't need to be right. I just want to be heard.
0: Well, and further further to your point too, um, when talking about, about the self and, and consciousness and talking about fears of confrontation and stuff like that. Um, definitely, I think there's there's also value in realizing that we, we are not our mistakes either. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very easy to get caught up in thinking that, well, I was wrong X time and X time and X time, right. and therefore I am a wrong person. I'm a person who makes mistakes and just really identify with, or I'm a person who hurts people in confrontation or a person who's awkward or any number of these, you know, adjectives that we use—I think it's an adjective, but I'm not going to stop and think about it—that um, <laughs> we uh, that we use to describe ourselves, and we just we just identify with them so strongly. But when we step back and realize that at the end of the day, in in most situations, the stakes are pretty low, and right. humans are pretty resilient, then then it becomes even easier to dance that little jig because it y- you feel much more at ease with just your humanity
1: yeah for sure that's and it's like you you, we i think i feel like we are constantly creating monsters out of these molehills and that's Mm -hmm. like i'm mixing up my (laughs) my analogies (laughs) but i don't care (laughs) but yeah we create things that aren't i mean they're bigger than what we make them bigger than what they are and that's not to say like some people don't deal with some really big stuff because like i said i've you know i've been through really big stuff so i i know the big stuff and but yeah like most of my fear comes from the little stuff and that's just like that's that's where like so so my happiness um you know it it it's always going to be presented as me trying to find my true authentic self and that that's like a lifelong journey like i feel like i'm constantly having to reassess and reevaluate who is this self that you know and and what makes me tick and like you said with the mistakes you know like um i think one of the reasons why we don't go after what could be the greatest thing that ever happened to us is because we're so afraid we're gonna screw things up and I guess some of the greatest people who have done some of the most amazing things you don't see how often they screwed it up before they made it there. You just see that they've mm-hmm. done it. And not that like I'm out to do something amazing that's going to change the world, but you know, like what's going to change my world, you know? That's kind of what um and what's going to change the world for my kids and um you know, we don't, we don't have to think such grand scope. We can think it very small and say like, what can I do that's going to make things, um, not necessarily easier because easier isn't necessarily the best. Um, but at least like, you what's know, gonna
0: catalyze a world that, that I would be proud of that kind right, of thing. Yeah.
1: And, and what's yeah, going to, and- what's going to bring joy, you know, that's and I think that's where I th- a lot of my, um, my searching has gone to is like, where can I find this even keel of contentment and knowing there's going to be darkness and trauma still, but like for the most part, you know, what's, um, what's going to help, you know, my kids to be able to brush things off there and become more resilient is, I guess, the best way to describe it.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Emotionally intelligent, resiliency, mm-hmm. all of that stuff that, I mean, I think um, from the outside, you definitely, uh, definitely appear to be focusing on this stuff, which is, which is really cool. And again, one of the reasons that I, uh, that I reached out to you, I've pronounced reached weird there, reached out to you. Um, <laughs> you're Canadian, but, you pronounce everything weird. It's all right. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Talk um me. <laughs> um, but one of the things that you said is you said, I, I'm not looking to change the world. And he, here I am, I'm going to disagree with you because I think the fact that you are choosing, actively choosing not only to raise these fantastic little humans who (laughs) like your son's musical talent blows me away oh my gosh I'm
1: so jealous of him (laughs) talk about comparing Um, and I'm just about to like (laughs) want to compare with myself to my son
0: (laughs) no you're you're fantastic as well I just I can't believe he's so young (laughs) I know um well although you're you're much not much but you're older than you look so I always think of you as as closer to my age (laughs) um but uh but yeah, like, I mean, not only are you raising fantastic humans, but just, just the very act of a person, a single person, especially an extrovert who has a, like a network around them, being their authentic self, it empowers people to be their authentic selves. And before you know it, one person being their authentic self turns into a hundred, mm-hmm. you know, and a and hundred people that changes the world. You know, and then those hundred people doing that, then it, then it's you know a thousand, and and it goes on and on. You know how you know how compound interest and stuff right. works. Um, you know, so so just just being your authentic self and loving and 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 spreading, you know, like whatever it is that you express, that that shows other people that not only is it okay to do that, but that it's a good thing because you know people see you and they go, wow, he's really happy. Maybe I should try that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe not everyone gets that from it, but all you need is a couple to, to do that, you know? Right. Uh, I don't know. I get really excited about the the math <laughs> of of healing the world.
1: I, I, I guess, yeah, you've definitely got a really good point there. And I think, like, you know, the biggest fear people have is being their authentic self is that judgment that they're going to, you know, be presented mm-hmm. with. And I guess I wish I had an answer for people of, like, how to let go of that. Um, because, I mean, that is something that's real. It's not something that people are making up in their heads. There are people who, you know, absolutely, like, just make it their job to, um, you know, to criticize others. And I guess, like, the thing about that is, like, for me, watching somebody do that, it makes me really sad. Like, first, it makes me mad, and I just want to, like, piss in (laughs) their Cheerios. But then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> After I get over that, I realized like how bad is your life that the only way you can find that hit of happiness is to criticize someone else. Like and and I want then suddenly I want to try to fix them.
0: <laughs> well, and I mean I think that you hit the nail exactly on the head. I actually I had a conversation about this with with a friend of mine just the other day. And you know, they they struggle with their parents. Their parents are very judgmental, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And And I told him, I said, I mean, the only advice that I know how to give you is, and it takes time, it's not something that's going to happen overnight, but try to stop thinking of, you know, whoever it is that you you care so much about their opinion as just that relationship to you, Mm -hmm. instead of looking at it as your mom, look at it as a woman who has had her own lived experiences and traumas and everything that builds her perception. As well as she happens to be your mom, Oof. and and when we can step back and realize that everybody's just as hurting as us, but we're just we just develop different coping mechanisms. Yeah, it, it becomes so much easier to go. Yeah, they're judging me because because they're hurting, and that's how they cope, mm. not because there's anything wrong with me. It's reflective of them, not me.
1: Wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: yeah, that so. that definitely, I, and yeah, that's so hard to like think of them like these family members or whatever they are as just people you know like we 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 do like you you man that was so crazy like forget the relationship they're a person who is struggling mm-hmm. with this stuff too Whew. there's yeah power in the name of a family member or whatever it is like there there's this this non-existent power that we give to whatever that is. And when you strip that, that's crazy. Man, that's, you're blowing my mind right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, it, it was something that it took me a really long time to learn. My dad's relationship with me was tumultuous for mm. decades. And then I don't even know what happened, but one day I was like, holy shit, he's just a fucked up human too. Mm. You know, for just real. like me, just just like everybody and slowly as i as i internalized and digested that realization the relationship became easier and easier and easier because i didn't feel like you know he's my dad and he should be x you know it was he's a dude that i want to have a relationship with because of you know because of these reasons and that's fine but he's just a dude
1: (laughs) no that's yeah that's totally like that hits the nail i mean and i think that's like a very healthy way to for like you know, adult children to interact with their adult, with their parents. Like that's, yeah. And I think that's like the opposite can be true. Like when you never get to that point, even as an adult, you always have this like feeling of, they have this power over you. They have this authority over you, you know, and, and you can never get to that level of, you know, no, we're we're friends now and, you know, mm-hmm. this is how we handle each other. And that, yeah, that's huge.
0: Yeah, I mean, and oh, I could talk about this stuff all day, like autonomy, <laughs> basically, you know, coming into our autonomy and all of that stuff. But unfortunately, you know, we never have all day. So before sure. I let you go, though, I, I alluded, I like saying the word alluded. Anyone notice today's the day of the word is alluded. Um, we have to scream I, every
1: time we hear it.
0: <laughs> no, I'm just gonna I'm gonna do a little ding. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not gonna do that and I'm not gonna ask my producer to. Um but uh so I alluded earlier to your music career. So can you tell us a little bit about that and where people can listen to I don't know, do you just go by Josh Wing?
1: Uh on there I go by Wings of Icarus.
0: Nice. Yeah. So that's oh, yeah. that's kind I of the love name that I've name, come by to. The way. Well, that, and
1: the, yeah, there's a whole thing on that too. But yes, Wings of Icarus is is the um, name of my solo project. Um, and if you know anything, obviously, I feel like you do about Icarus. It's that remembering to not be too um, proud and, and to keep mm-hmm. that humility. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like that's in, in my musical aspirations, I always had a tendency to like want to be the best and want to be the shiniest. and um, and you know there's certain things that I just can't get to or like, you know, I, I never got to um, learn certain things to the amount that I wanted to. And so, um I always felt like, you know, my music just should not go out there because it's just not to that level. But then I realized like, no, I have something to say in my music. And so, you know, it may not be the most polished thing in the world, but it's mine. So, uh, (laughs) plugging that, um, (laughs) Wings of Icarus is, um, you can find me on YouTube. Um, I have a Facebook page all uh, on Wings of Icarus. Um, And then I think- Is there Spotify? There is not Spotify yet, I'm working on that, but right now there is SoundCloud. So you can find me on SoundCloud under Wings of Icarus as well
0: um and yeah dope that's-, and that's one word right yep all right <laughs> um so don't don't hop off quite yet but i'm just gonna i'm just gonna close out the show anyone please go check out his stuff i've heard his stuff um i like it like i said also check out his tiktok wings of icarus it's freaking hilarious it's like my favorite thing um <laughs> i'm your number one tiktok fan josh um <laughs> Um okay so to my listeners thank you guys for listening thank you again for coming on Josh it was fantastic and I appreciate your your candor and your uh, openness and yeah to my listeners um what do I usually say love you guys bye <laughs>